Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Teacher Rush Hugh. Join us as we are appointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's Holy Word. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> okay, we're awake. <laughs> just just checking. <laughs> Gianna, thank you for what you're doing this morning. Gianna's first time piano leading in worship. Very good job. Thank, thank you very much. Sound beautiful. Keep it up. And Doug, thank you for last minute, 1015 last night, to be notified that you're leading worship. <laughs> And the worship team, you guys are amazing. Hannah and Karita, you guys are wonderful. Sounds like angels singing up here. Really, it does. <laughs> so, I would like to, uh, as we continue in through Ephesians, we were, we're going to look at what Robin just read for us, chapter 4, verse 17 through 20. Now, this is Paul's way of talking about our new life our new self, our new, the new you. That's why I titled it the new you. It's nothing, claim it, name it kind of thing. I don't want it to sound charismatic or anything. It's, it's just, we have a new life. We have a, you have a new you in Jesus Christ. And we all have a new, new life. So before we uh, get started, allow me to pray about our message today. <clears throat> Join with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we could be here this morning. We pray for those who are not here and who cannot make it or who are still trying to just be home and be normal and, and possibly their, their fears of the COVID. Lord, we pray that, that things can, can just be normal, what we know is normal anyway. We, want, we desire to come back and meet together shake hands, hug, and just greet each other. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we've had in the past to do this. Thank you for this opportunity we have for those who are here this morning. We just pray for those who are not here for healing and comfort because we know that you are you're immutable. You never change. You always love us, and you're always sovereign over everything. God, we just pray as we Look at your word this morning that you show us your truth. You show us the, your guide as we need to live in our new self, that we have Christ, live through Christ and for Christ, and to glorify you in everything we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as we have been looking through the book of Ephesians, we notice that how Paul is addressing the body of believers. And he wants the body to come together with their gifts and understand that the church is a gift to us. He, his desire is for the church to, like I said before, to bodybuild. You know, kind of like the sport, each muscle group has its own function. And as we go through this, each muscle group is going to perform their unique job. And there are different exercises to, for the bodybuilder to make the body stronger in every area. Well, we are these different muscles, the different parts of the body as we are coming together. Now, if you ever have been lifted, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you ever lifted weights, you'll know what I'm talking about. Today is what I would consider leg day. 
Leg day is a hard day. It's one of the days that when you lift weights, it's very hard because it t- you're lifting a lot of weight and you're using every muscle in your legs. And when you're done, you're exhausted, you're tired, you dread the next leg, leg day. <laughs> so this is what I would consider a leg day. So you put a lot of effort into this. And as we should, every day should be a leg day as we look, at, look through the word of the word. So as we work out, we develop the body. We will all use our gift ultimately to glorify God. When we use what we have, what God has given us, we are stronger as the body comes together, which has been built up on the prophets and the apostles and Christ as our cornerstone. Ultimately, many times we may not use these gifts uh, as we are given them. We may, and we are falling away from the church. We're falling away from what God has designed us to do with each other, for each other, and ultimately for him. You know, we might actually use them in a way that may not give God his glory. So in verses 17 through 20, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are to essentially have a new life. If you remember, Paul mentions Jews and Gentiles a lot in chapter 4. He mentions how they were outsiders and now they're insiders through Christ reconciling them. Now, when he refers to the Gentiles here, it is in a negative context as how they have lived in the past. But since Christ has reconciled both Jews and Gentiles, they're no longer outsiders. They are now insiders. They are redeemed. They are all there to live a new life that no longer is part of this world but part of the body that edifies one another and gives God his rightful glory. Paul affirms that the Gentiles are in the new creation, but should no longer live as they do in verse 17. This, this is much like the world that we as believers live in today. Paul is saying that since we have been redeemed, we should no longer live in the ways of the past, the BC days, the before Christ days. We all know what a wretched lifestyle we used to live before we were saved. And Paul is urging us to not, go, not to go back to that lifestyle. And, our, and he's telling us that our daily life should reflect Christ no matter what the situation. Now, I've read through numerous polls throughout the years, and some of the polls that stuck out to me were the ones that have shown, pardon me, I'm trying to get this iPad to function right, (laughs) but read through the numerous polls, and some of the polls that have stuck out to me are the ones that say that one-third of a, one-third to almost half Americans claim to be born-again Christians. But before we celebrate that, there, there's no mention how they lived. The polls don't indicate what that lifestyle is as a Christian. So if you go knocking on all these doors, our neighbors, and talk to your coworkers, they'll all say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But does their life represent a Christian lifestyle as Paul is addressing here? So yes, we are living in this world, but no, but not like the many of those who answer these questions. Uh, you know, they're all saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they're still living in this life that doesn't show that they're Christians. You know, 
yes, it's tempting to look at things that we should not look at, to post things that cause others to be angry on social media, you know, say, well, it's just what I believe. Uh, it's, it's tempting to laugh at the things that God would despise us to laugh at. It's tempting to use our speech in a way that is unkind or even foul. Yeah, we all have a car that cuts us off once in a while, but we got to pump the brakes on that literally and figuratively too, spiritually. You know, we, it's to live a life in such a way that we would be ashamed to talk about how we live with our fellow believers. We should, be not, we, we should not be ashamed to talk about anything that goes on in our daily life. Now, Christians, including Christian leaders in the same poll, uh, have a high rate of sexual immorality. Whether it's viewing pornography on the internet or actually engaging in sexual sin, evangelical Christians actually have a slightly higher divorce rate than the rest of the American population. I found that was kind of, I, I was blown away by that. See, we watch the same amount and the same content of filthy TV shows and movies as the general population does. See, according to the Watchman Expositor, one researcher found that half of the baby boomers claim to be born again say that religions other than Christianity are equally good and true. One third of that group believes in reincarnation and astrology. Nearly half support abortion rights. This is my mom and dad. This is not my group. <laughs> I don't know what group you call me, but <laughs> baby boomer group. But that speaks true to all of us, to many of us here even today. Uh, according to John MacArthur's book, The Truth Wars, two-thirds of the adults who attend conservative Protestant, Protestant churches question whether absolute moral truth exists. So here we are, we're seeing a, a pattern of people saying they're Christians, but, they're, but now they're being kind of like numb to what's going on, and they're thinking that, there's, well, there's many things that are okay. There's many things that are fine. You know, oh, well, this, this false monotheistic religion, it's okay, it's a way to heaven. God, God has many ways to heaven. No, he doesn't. He only has oneness to Jesus Christ. So things have not changed from what Paul is telling us, telling the believer to abstain from, have they? It's, it's still the same today as it was back in Paul's time. Now, I, I believe that it's even gotten worse to, during our time. But it, it, or at least it seems that way because themes, things seem to be really progressing really fast and they're not progressing to anything good. Maybe it's not. It may be the things that are progressing has, has been a pattern of history in the past. So, this, which brings me to my first statement, to be and testify. Be a statement and testify. We need to make a statement for Christ, bold as Peter did, and we need to make a statement. So whatever the case, Paul is writing to remind us that we should not long go back and live in our old ways. Paul is telling us to put, put on the new you that represents the new life you have in Jesus Christ and no longer live in the past as we did during our BC times. This is clear that Paul wants us to testify, as he mentions. 
to make a solemn declaration under oath for a purpose of establishing a fact. That's like a courtroom. But what Paul is saying, he wants us to make a statement based on our personal belief to bear witness. Our life should bear, should bear witness to something special that non-believers think that there's something unique and different about us because we are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I will give you a warning. It's not, not easy. It's very difficult. It's very hard. If you've ever been evangelizing, you know, I hate to say evangelizing. If you've ever been sharing Christ with somebody, yes, that's called evangelizing, but doing it from your heart, just talking about Jesus to somebody, you'll, you'll know also that it's very difficult. My wife could actually tell you many accounts to one specific lady she works with, how she shared the gospel with her when, she was, when this lady was down and out and had no other hope. But now this lady is not what you think. She's not like, wow, I've seen the light. She's just the opposite. She hates Claudia. She hates everybody at work. She hates everything at work. No matter what you do or what you say cannot be right. I believe Claudia thinks that since she shared Christ with this lady, this lady hates her even more because this lady claims to be an atheist and whatever it is. So she, she hates it. So the darkness does not comprehend the light. Many years ago, I coached the city soccer league for AYSO for my oldest daughter, Kellen. Uh, one of the things we would do, we had practice on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Every Friday, we would have a coaches meeting. This is the part that was the most important part. I got to pick a parent to bring the snacks on Saturday after the game. That was the, the, what these kids lived for. So the parents were kind of like, well, it's my turn, that kind of thing. But it was fun. But there was one couple that was always there, and they were, they, they were different. I knew they were different, but I never really got to talk to them because I was with their kid. My wife got to talk to them more than I did. And my wife, Claudia, got to tell me that these, these, this couple is missionaries. And I'm like, missionaries here in the United States, shouldn't they be somewhere else? You know, this is before I really started know, to know Jesus Christ. So as we got to know them, we knew they were different. They weren't hyper-friendly, kind of like taking charge parents. They weren't the parents that volunteered for everything, but they were willing to help and do anything that we needed. You know, it was one, one Saturday when we locked the keys in our car, we're waiting, and this missionary named Bill helped me break into my car a missionary breaking into my car. And while we're breaking into my car, he is, tells me we're having a friendship Sunday. So he invites us, we, we go, and he was supposed to be inviting people along and hasn't done it yet. So we go, we, we've been connected with GBF ever since, and this is like 16 plus years later. So this missionary, this elder at GBF, and, and Bill and Amy were different. We saw something different when we didn't even know they went to church. We didn't even know what they were about. This is what we need to be like. I'm not saying like Bill and Amy, but we need to be the light in this dark world. My point to all this is they were different. Their love for the Lord shone through the interactions and eventually led to the invite to church. They were living a testimony of Jesus Christ. They were testifying in the Lord. They were bearing witness as Paul wants us to do. 
don't know what's wrong with my thing today. So the result would have been different if we had seen them coarse gesturing, saying things that were not right, and then they invite us to the church. It would, it would have been a red flag in my situation. I would not have gone, because if this is what other believers do, and then they go to church, I would not want to be a part of that. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I have many things to change in my own ways. So many may think that doing things like wearing the Bible verse on your t-shirt, putting the bumper sticker on your car that has Jesus, having to tell others, you, yeah, I go to church. <laughs> that's, that's not right. If you have to tell people you go to church, if you're not standing out, something's wrong. We're making a bold statement for Jesus Christ. It's not doing the extra things, the physical things that makes us different, unless you're serving others as Jesus has done. Just like Bill and Amy Cross, they, their light shined in a way that Claudia and I knew that they were, there was something different about them. They have the love for the Lord deep and, deep and it was noticeable. Which brings me to my next point. We have to know how to walk the walk and talk the talk. We gotta know what we, we gotta know how to do it and how to talk, it, talk about it to back it up. So to put this next section into modern terms, I think Paul would say we're walking the, he wants us to walk the walk and talk the talk. Now we are living, in a, living and testifying in a special way that others notice. Paul wants us, wants us, the believer, to abstain from the life that we once lived. As I mentioned previously, there are, in the polls, there are those who blend the love of the world with, with Jesus. They love Jesus, but they love the world too. Paul wants them to see that Christianity is radically different from the way that the world lives. These people had come out of the world. Temptation is always gonna, temptation is always gonna bring you, wants to bring you back from where you've come from. Paul is saying that, not on my watch, here's why. He's giving us a picture of the Christian life and what it's all about, being strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit of God. Now he's saying, don't look back. Live differently. It's radically different lifestyle that you now know as a believer. So what's the problem? Why do believers need this warning since we need to be delivered from our past enslavement to the power of sin? Romans 6, 11 through 14 says, so, also, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let, let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body, but to make, make you obey its passions. Do not present your members in, uh, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present your, yourselves to God as those who have been brought from, from death to life and your members to God as the instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no domain over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. See, the problem all believers must still contend with is that the Bible refers to as flesh. We must all deal with this problem of the flesh, the sin, the evil character inherited from Adam and in which, in, in which still resides in the moral, 
mortal bodies of even believers. Peter, for example, is addressing the believers and exhorts them. He says, as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. See, it's difficult to fight the flesh when we are living in this world. Yeah, we are in this world. God so, God, you know, for God so loved the world, we're in this world, but we're not of the world. First John chapter 2, 15 through 16 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not the Father, but is from the world. It's not from the Father, it's from the world. It's the bad things that we want to, to naturally go to. I like how D.L. Moody said, if I walk with the world, I cannot talk with God. It's, haven't you noticed that when you have noticeably done something wrong in your own life, a sin that you're struggling with, how hard it is to talk to God afterwards. But God wants us to come back to him and talk to him and ask for forgiveness and change. This is where truly repenting comes in. It's not turning away. Repenting is changing our mind. And the changing of our mind will make us turn away. So as we read through this passage, we can see that Paul is referring to you. You refers to the slaved, I'm sorry, saved Gentiles. In one sense, yes, they are still Gentiles, but the eternal sense, they belong to a new race. For they are individually each a new creation and corporately one new man, part of the body that we've been talking about. I love the the book of Ephesians because it talks about the church, the church, the church, the church, how we are part of the church, this gift given to us. See, we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, as Paul says. So don't walk like you used to walk when you were a pagan, idol-worshiping God-hater. Don't do it. Paul's warning us, don't do this. It's so easy to get back into that. You know, you are saved not to live uh, your life in the sewer of the godless men. You're raised up on high, a city on a hill, letting its light shine before man. Yes, you still live temporarily in this fallen, sick, sin-sick, moral-decaying world, but you have been set free from it to be the lighthouse, permeating it with it the light of Christ. We are the light in this world, not being drawn back into, into its moral mire and spiritual decay and darkness. So what did Jesus tell us to do in Matthew 5, 16? He says, let your light shine before others so that you may see, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Now, when we read in the futility of their minds, this, is mean, this means an emptiness, a vanity, none, a, a nonsense, a nothingness. Something that's just not there. It's not worth chasing after because there's nothing worth chasing after. Their thinking became futile. 
This means unbelieving Gentiles fail to attain the true purpose of the mind, namely to receive God's revelation, which, which would guide them in their conduct. Now, it's interesting to note that the vain things was a Jewish name for the Gentile idols, which represented ideas, conceptions of God, of a God that had no intrinsic value or correspondence to the real truth about the living God. The world is more concerned about the vain things which do not matter for the internal, in the eternal. Now, I don't know when the last time you've gone out sharing your faith, but you'll, you'll notice that as you do share your faith, people don't care. Because why? It's not happening now. So what I end up start doing is saying, well, yeah, you may not believe now, but you will believe one day. We, the world will believe one day. Everybody that's living today will believe one day that there is a living, true God. Because we will be in front of that God one day. It's the only God of this world. So it's no wonder the world does what they do. Paul's point is that we are unregenerate Gentiles. They could not understand the spiritual truth. The way the pagan world thinks is totally foreign to the way God thinks. This is not how God thinks. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So are you walking the walk and talking the talk of this world? Or are you being a believer that's living half and half, like the coffee creamer? I don't know what that half and half is, but it's something plus something, right? It's half and half. Are we halfway in the world and halfway in the church? Where are we? I can say that was me years ago. You couldn't tell. I went to church on Sunday when you saw me at work or hanging out with somebody else until I, then I would go to church. And sometimes our friends in the years and years ago would say, you guys go to church? Wow, that's pretty convicting. <laughs> So are you living a new life and living it for Christ? If so, how do you know? How do you know that you're living for Christ? How do you know that you are not living as the Gentiles lived in the other word? In other words, how do you know that you're talking the talk and walking the walk of a believer? How are you living your faith or making a statement in this sin-sick world? Do you have a passion to learn more about Jesus? Do you have a desire to serve others more? To be the hands and feet of Jesus? I love saying that because when I first heard that said to me from a seminary professor, it says, go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm like, that's not a Bible verse, but, but we're serving like Jesus did. We're going as Jesus did. We're not staying. We're not holding and not doing anything. We're going and serving people. Do you have a passion to learn more about Jesus is the big question. Do you have a desire to see others more? Do you have a desire to use your gifts that was given to us? If the answer is no, then what's preventing you? How are you involved in the body of Christ? 
right here, right now, on Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's not just being involved on Sundays. It's being involved in people's lives, investing in people's lives. See, we have to give up our old ways of this world. The world says that it's all about you and whatever new thing comes your way, do it. We can, we, we can be the statement and testimony which allows us to be the light in this world, which brings me to the next point. We need to be the light. Paul writes in verse 18 that they are darkened in their understanding. Being darkened means that they that the lost man has lost his perception of moral values. This is exactly what's being promoted in our day, a lost perception of moral values. Values of the world, for clarification, would be, if it feels good, we do it. YOLO lifestyle. You only live once, Y-O-L-O, YOLO. You only live once, just do it anyway. Yeah, it should be the same for us. We only live once, so let's tell people about the Lord right there, right now. And it's all about you is what the world is wanting us to hear. We live in a world that's so far from God where it's all about you. You are the idol and you have your own Torah. You You have your own commands. Everything can offend you because of selfishness. This world does not care about others This is what the Gentiles are living out and what Paul is addressing. They rejected the laws and testimonies. Psalm 5 says, For there is no truth in their mouth, their inmost self is destruction. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4, describe it best to those who are darkened. It says that even our gospel is veiled, I'm sorry, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, it's no wonder why people hate to hear about God because they're convicted. So we, now we continue to read, in their understanding means thinking through something Make meditating, reflecting. It refers to the intellect, moral understanding of the way of thinking. So the Gentiles were living a life that was chasing things that do not bring fulfillment or long-lasting satisfaction. And you can see this, you can see their understanding was limited and they chased after these things that were good in their life that didn't involve God, that didn't involve God's ways to live. In a sense, they were chasing bubbles. We've all been there and done that. Well, we probably chased bubbles, but as grandparents and parents, we're blowing bubbles for the grandchild and our kids. What are the kids doing? They're happy, they're running and chasing, and the bubble is gone. They come back, you blow it again. Yeah, yeah, the bubble's gone. And after a while, they understand where the bubbles come from, so they just stand next to you and pop them all, right? So in a sense, the Gentiles are chasing bubbles. They're building the best sandcastle they can on the beach to no longer be there. No matter how, what effort they put into it, how beautiful it may look, it's gonna be gone. They're chasing empty things. So we all know those bubbles and sandcastles don't last and only give temporary satisfaction, unlike living for the Lord. 
There is a level of understanding that they didn't have when they were Gentiles before they were reconciled through Christ. They were outsiders for a reason. Only God can open up the understanding, the human understanding, the spiritual truth. Hebrews twice quotes God's promise under the new covenant. It says, I will put my laws into their minds. An inner transformation of the human personality accomplished by work of God is necessary to open man's mind to the Lord. This is why Paul is focusing his prayers, if you look through the prayers of Ephesians, on the minds of the Ephesian believers. They might not be, I'm sorry, they might be enlightened in order that they might know the hope which he had called them. Sounds familiar if you think about Ephesians 1, that's verse 18. Their thinking became futile. Unbelieving Gentiles failed to obtain the true purpose of the mind, namely to receive God's revelation, which would guide them in their conduct. Since their minds could not receive God's revelation, their understanding was darkness was darkened, being separated or alienated from the life of that comes from God. Ephesians 2, verse 12, going back, says, Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, their alienation is because of their ignorance of God. 1 Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. To be alienated is to be estranged from, to be pulled away from Jesus Christ. Doing what they thought was right They lived in a world that thinks it's okay to have sex with another person if it's done in love. To live with another person that's done in love. That's happening today. Don't we see this? I love them, so it's okay. Oh, we'll just live together, so it's okay. But they're using, the world is using love as a determining factor. But this is man's way and it's false. Acts 15, 20 says that to abstain from things that polluted by idols and from sexual immorality. See, the problem is obvious. A tolerance of sin is what this problem is. This tolerance is built up because of their hardness, of their heart that causes them to be calloused. When I thought about being calloused, how do I understand being calloused? The only thing I can think of was blisters. Many years ago, while on a 15-mile road march with about 30 pounds of gear in the army, we were marching. It took us pretty much half the, you know, not half the day. I don't know how long it took us. But as we were marching through, it was okay at first. But later on, I noticed there were certain spots in my boots where I was getting blisters, the back of my boots, the bottom of my feet. But I finished it. The blisters were raw. They were done. They were, they were ugly. And they hurt. <laughs> And I got them because I wasn't used to this type of, type of insanity. After complete, completing that road march, we did another one about six months later, but this one was a 30-mile road march. 
And that's what happens when you're attached to an infantry unit as a military police. You know, this march was not as bad, even though it should have been twice as bad because it's twice as long. But I had developed calluses where those blisters were. <laughs> I did not get any more blisters because my feet were used to this insanity now. So I was callous. I was used to this. This is a picture of the Gentiles. They were living, their own, living in their own sin and not even realizing it anymore. They were becoming calloused. They even welcomed it and maybe even planned their sinful lifestyle. They were like the blisters on my feet that once, that once was but now are calloused. Or they're like what we consider being nose blind. You're living in a, you're, you're walking through something and if you've been there long enough, you don't smell it anymore. It's like that, you're being, they're being nose blind, they're being calloused, they're not used to it. Well, they're, used, they're so used, they've grown accustomed to it that it's a new thing. It's the way it is. The way of the Gentiles were doing things that were wicked but didn't seem wicked to them or anyone else anymore. This is being insensitive to God and his ways. See, it's hard to make a statement. It's hard to walk the walk and talk the talk or be the light when you choose to be dark and hardened and calloused over to God. But Paul is saying, they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, if you turn back to Romans chapter one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans you'll see that a lot of this stuff sounds very familiar of what Paul's talking about. So, I have it over here too. We'll start at verse 22 of chapter one of Romans. I'm sorry, verse 21. For although they know God, they knew God, they did not honor God, him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Sounds familiar, right? Doesn't that sound like what we just read through in Ephesians? Paul's saying this again to the Ephesians now. Let's go to verse 26 when he gives this list of the sensuality, the greed, practices, and so on. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to, the, to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who, that are contrary to, to nature. And the men likewise gave up the natural relations with women and were consumed with passions for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do, what, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, mal maliciousness. They gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, 
haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithful, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They, do, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Sounds like the world we're living in now, right? I can see this all over the news. It's legal to be married to another man, a man to be married to another man, woman to be married to another woman. Paul's addressing this. And it's a badge of honor if they're doing these things, if they're committing these things. This is living and having a parade for the curse of man. They're celebrating it. Yeah, we see that in the Old Testament too, right? We see that and Paul is addressing this. They can't tell the difference anymore. They don't know and, they, and their, con their conscience doesn't even bother them anymore. They are trained to live in sin. Therefore, they are given over to their sensuality. Now, I want to cite a commentary that I often look at, which is from John Walvrud and Roy B. Zook. It's a New Testament commentary. They said, this is a picture of a life without concern for per personal standards or social sanction. Their purpose was to practice every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more, indulging in self-gratification without regard for others. This is a horrible picture of silly people's selfish and pervert ways. I would totally agree with that. Just as Paul says, they were worshiping the creature and not the creator. They prevented themselves to know Jesus Christ. Which brings me to my last point. We need to know Christ. Verse 20 says, but that, as not, but that is not the way you learn Christ. He's telling the Gentiles, you didn't learn Christ by being, living, loving the world as a Gentile. That's not how you learn Christ. To learn means to gain knowledge or skill by instruction. The idea is to genuinely understand and accept a teaching, accept it as true and to apply it in one's life. I like what Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. He said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is what Paul wants to know. Do we know, do, are we like that? Do we want to be like Paul and want to know Jesus more versus knowing the world? So when do they learn Christ? This marks a specific time which would equate to the time of their conversion. They did not learn to follow Christ by natural mental process that customarily led to a degradation of unsaved Gentiles. They learned to follow him as his disciples from the gospel. Christ teaches men to renounce sin and vice and to cultivate holiness and virtue. Are we denouncing sin and vice and whatever it is that we are geared into? Or are we cultivating holiness and virtue? And we have read that sinners who have been given over to their desires are in the worst place of all 
of all this in the world. For sin degrades the mind, making it easy to deny the conscience and to continue in willful ignorance of God's law. Ignorance does not excuse sin, for humanity chose, chose blindness in Adam and all its descendants continue to choose it each time they denied Jesus. Ignorance gives way to callousness towards the things of God and unquenchable appetite for sin, for impurity. You, may, you fill in that blank of whatever sin it might be. Because of that callousness, men and women are having an unquenchable desire, a thirst for something that God hates. If you have not learned about Christ, now is the time. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds for us or even the next minutes of our life. We live in a world that shoots up churches and hates all things that are good. I'd never heard of that before until a few years ago. Now churches are being shot. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and that out of your own doing is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that nobody may boast. Nothing we can do that we, oh, I did this. Oh, I said the sinner's prayer. I said these things. I did these things. These are just a few verses. So why did I quote these verses? Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, every single one of us on this earth. We need to pray that God will change, our, change your desires, our desires for sin. Pray for forgiveness of the life that we lived as a Gentile. Many will tell you to pray this prayer of forgiveness, read this verse, and you're saved. Oh, and don't forget to write that date that you're baptized in your Bible. See, it's much more than following a, a step-based theology for sanctification, for soteriology, the, your study of salvation. It's knowing God and his attributes. It's knowing that you were created by a creator, an intelligent designer to serve him. It's knowing that you have done, knowing what you have done against God and how you once were a God-hater by denying him and his laws. Don't know what the laws are, the Ten Commandments. It's knowing what God has done for you out of his love and mercy. God demonstrated his love for you that even though you were still a sinner, he sent Christ to die, Romans 5.8. And if that isn't enough to convince you, three days later, he had Christ defeat death and rose from the grave after dying on the cross for you, for all of us. I'm so thankful for that. Because that's... That tells me Jesus is real. Jesus is not just some person that died on the cross. He's no longer in the tomb. Shows me how the, the power of God, God in Christ. Now, if that's not enough to convince you about the three days later and everything else I just said, I, 
We need to pray. Pray that God will tear down these walls that, that, that we are putting up. It's not just asking for forgiveness. It's believing in Jesus with all your heart, having a desire to serve him and denying yourself. You'll know you are saved by your new life desires to serve the body, wanting to know the Bible, wanting to be a part of the gospel movement. You'll know that you are a Christian because you have entered into a personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. It is a learning of him that changes at the deepest possible level you can ever be. Now, like what John Calvin writes, he said, if your life is not different from unbelievers, you have learned nothing of Christ. For the knowledge of Christ cannot be separated from the mortification of the flesh. That's pretty deep. See, we need to evaluate how our life is different from the world. If it, if it is not much of a difference, then God's word here should be screaming at you. He should be hitting you between the eyes in the heart where it needs to be. Now, as we, as we close, I want you to think about how scripture never asserts that, this, that sinless perfection is attainable before we are glorified, but it is also clear that those who have no desire for holiness have not been converted. As we hate our sin, repent, and strive to put, put it to death, we prove that we belong to Jesus. We are no longer like the Gentiles living in the past. This is what Paul's desire is for us to do. He wants us to, to make a statement. He wants us to talk the talk, walk the walk. He wants us to, to know Jesus, to know, to be a light in this world. He wants us to have a new person in Christ. This will be the new you if we are doing these things. Praise God for his word and for convicting me. This is probably the hardest one I've had to do because here I am telling you but yeah, I'm, I'm convicted probably the most. It took me Monday through Wednesday to get through a lot of this personally. You know, not living in this world, not wanting to be part of different things made me really see how I am making a statement in this world to others I may love and enjoy. So join with me as we pray so we can make that statement and be to have a new, have the new you come out and make that bold statement for Jesus Christ as we live our life every day, not just Sunday. God, thank you for your words. Being the plumb line of our life, being convicting where it needs, we need to be convicted, to edify us to where we need to be edified. But Lord, ultimately to give you glory in everything we do, Lord, forgive us for what the things that we do and how we taste the things of the world, but we hate the world at the same time. God, it's difficult to go through this life each day 
when we're surrounded by people who hate you, people who, who are just the way is being tossed to and from the world to you, back and forth, and not really take, making a bold statement in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not be that person. Help us be that person that loves you and willing to make that statement that we need to make, to boldly proclaim Christ, whether it's in speech or our life, as Jesus did, as he served this community, served the people, and he went to the community. And he was, Lord, he was, we see how he was ridiculed for doing this, eating with sinners, eating with, talking to prostitutes, talking to men who don't, who, what the world says is wrong, but they live in their own wrongful ways. Lord, help us not to be like that. Help us not to be self-righteous. Help us to have, be a new person in Christ. Help us love one another more. Help us serve in a way that we can serve through Christ. Help us be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ every single day of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. for Connection Sunday School and from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for our worship service. We're located at 1385 Northwestern Drive on the west side of El Paso along with our hosting sister church, Mission de Gracia. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website www.gracebibleelpaso.org We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. <laughs>